Hey, good morning. Welcome to Northside. Go ahead, come on in, find a seat. Be seated for about 15 seconds. I'm going to have you stand back up. Uh, so it is the end of VBS week, so this morning is going to look a little bit different. So for the first 15 plus minutes of our service, our kids are going to sing some songs. Then we're going to have the video to play. And then at the end of the service, after I preach, the final song will be our VBXers who are going to do a song that they've been working on throughout the week. So we're going to get everybody involved. So we are thankful that you are here. So if you'll take a moment and stand and welcome those around you, and then we're going to turn it over to our kiddos. All right, if you'll return to your seats, we're going to turn it over to our kids and you can see some of the things that they learned this week.
Great job, kiddos. Great job, great job. All right, while they're making their way to their seats, let me just kind of give you a quick recap of EBS, and then you'll check out uh, the video that Miss Emma put together. But we had over 100 kids registered for Vacation Bible School. We averaged about 95 uh, throughout the week. Um, so that's incredible. Had a great time. Uh, brought in a lot of canned goods and, and items for the Georgia... Baptist Children's Home, so that was amazing to see uh, them do that. We had over 80, upwards of almost 90 volunteers uh, this week, which is incredible. A lot of churches maybe can draw the kids, but they struggle to get the volunteers. And we had close to a one-on-one -on -one ratio, which is incredible. Um, and so 
if you helped in any capacity from actually being here serving or you were just one of the gracious ones who brought snacks so that the adults could eat every night let me just say thank you from the bottom of my heart every single one of you are amazing and God used you to work in these kids lives so thank you very much now check out this video
Jesus, you're all I need, no matter where life may lead, through every twist and turn, Jesus, you're all I Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus Christ, you do indeed change everything. Following you changes everything. It's why volunteers give of themselves and exhaust themselves for a week of Bible school. Because we believe that following you changes everything, and therefore we want to pour that into these children. That Jesus, you do in fact change everything. It's why we laugh. It's why we can be silly. It's why we can dance it's why we can have fun because we have a joy that this world and circumstances can't take away but father it's also why we're very serious very serious about the good news of the gospel of jesus christ it's why we want to let these kids know and encourage them to then let the world know that jesus everything is different when we repent of our sins confess our sins, and put our faith and our trust in you. So, Father, again, we thank you for every volunteer. Thank you for every person who gave of themselves this past week. Thank you for every boy and girl that came. And, Father, we just planted some seeds. Father, you will make sure it's water. You will make sure it grows. Father, your word will not return void. Father, we've gathered to worship you. So as we do that right now as a congregation, as the body of Christ, be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Let's worship together. Let our praise be your welcome, let our song. 
Let it fall. 
Amen. 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 You may be seated. This time our kids are going to make their way to Children's Church. Both of our classes are going to go. While they're making their way out, if everybody else will take their copy of God's Word and turn to Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3. Let me tell you where we're going. So we're going to cover chapter 3 this morning. Next Sunday, PG, Pastor Gary will be preaching. Uh, my family will be on our family vacation with uh, my family, mom, dad, brother, his family, sister, and her family. And so we will be uh, gone. Then the week after that, which is Church Picnic Sunday. Anybody excited about Church Picnic Sunday? Well, come on now. The swimming, barbecue. Fa- yeah, there you go. There you go. So that Sunday is actually going to be our Missions Focus Sunday, where we kind of talk about, debrief our trip to Ecuador. Mark's going to share a good bit that morning. And then that evening uh, at Camp Rockridge, we'll do a Q&A if you have specific questions you want to know, because this Lord willing, is going to be an ongoing partnership uh, with the Yanceys um, at the camp, and so we're excited about that. So we are in Esther chapter 3 this morning. One simple question I want to ask as we work our way through these verses, and that is simply this. Who is in charge here in chapter 3? Who is in charge here in chapter 3? Well, there's four main characters in the story of Esther. We can right off the bat tell you who is not in charge, and that is Esther. Esther, when you come to chapter 4, and we'll get there in several weeks, will become front and center. But in chapter 3, Esther is not even mentioned. So we know Esther is not in charge. Another one of our main characters is Mordecai. We think, well, is Mordecai in charge? Well, if you go back to last week's message, you get to the end of chapter 2, and we see that Mordecai discovers this plot. Um, tells Esther, Esther tells the king, the king's life is spared, and you would think Mordecai would get promoted. Um, He's recorded in the book of Chronicles, but then when you come to chapter 3, verse 1, it says, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. And we're introduced to Haman for the first time, and we'll circle back to him. But it says, after these things, King Ahasuerus, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. There are several things that I want to encourage you to do a deep dive into in your study time this week that we won't get into this morning. One of those being Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman when everybody else is, and the question is why? Was it against the law for Jews to bow down to people? And the answer is no. Jews weren't to worship people, but bowing down was a sign of honor. And they were allowed to show honor and respect. And so why, in this case, does Mordecai refuse to bow before Haman? And we'll talk a little bit more about that. Obviously, Mordecai doesn't respect Haman. Haman hates Mordecai. There's a reason he hates Mordecai. And so for whatever reason, Mordecai refuses to bow down. And so Mordecai isn't in charge here. 
Because what we're about to find out is because of Haman's anger towards Mordecai, Mordecai and his people, the Jews, are going to be killed, destroyed, and annihilated. Or at least that is the plan. So Mordecai has no control here. What about the king? The king should be in control, right? Well, not this king. Because we read in verse 8, I'm going to skip a couple verses that we'll come back to. Verse 8 says, Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, so Haman has this plan. He wants to destroy the Jews. He says, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. They do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. I'll pay you 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. So here's the deal. Haman goes to the king and says, King, there's a people. These people don't follow our laws. They're of no benefit to you. I think we should destroy them. Now, you would think the king would at least ask the question, who are you talking about, Haman? He doesn't even care. He doesn't care who it is. Haman, he's promoted him. Haman says, I want him dead. The king says, all right. And then he gives him his signet ring. What he's doing is he's giving Haman all the authority. You have the authority on my behalf to act as you want. You can seal this edict. It comes with my power, my authority. So who's in control in chapter 3? It is not the king because he's given over the control to Haman, which leads us to Haman. And from a human perspective, Haman appears to be in control. It appears that Haman is calling the shots. So let's read about this Haman. We read the first five verses. Let's pick up with verse five again. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Now drop down to verse 12. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples. To every province in its own script and every people in its own language, it was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. When you come to the end of chapter 3, an edict has been issued that all the Jews are to be killed, destroyed, and annihilated. All because Haman despises one man, Mordecai, who happens to be a Jew. Now why in the world would Haman despise this man so much? Well, the answer is found in how both of these men, Mordecai and Haman, are identified. And to understand this, we have to go back a little bit in biblical history. So Mordecai is identified with a man by the name of 
Kish. Kish we know to be the father of King Saul. King Saul who is a Benjaminite. Mordecai is a Benjamite. So Mordecai is identified with King Saul's father. Now how is Haman identified? Well, he's identified as the enemy of the Jews in chapter 3 verse 10, but he's also identified with a king by the name of Agag. He is an Agagite. I say, what is an Agagite? Who, what, what is the significance of this? And so let's go back. We go back to Exodus chapter 17. I'm not going to read. I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of the story. Exodus 17, God has delivered his people from Egypt. They are on their way to the promised land. They're in the wilderness. And the first group of people attacks God's people, Israel. It's a man by the name of Amalek known as the Amalekites. And these group of people begin to attack God's people. Just word of advice, when you go against the people of God, you go against God. And that never turns out in your favor. But these people decide to go against the people of God. And so here's what happens. Moses sends Joshua out into the battle. He's, the, he's leading the troops. Moses goes up on the top of a hill with his brother Aaron and a man by the name of Hur. Not her is in a she, but a her, H-U-R. And these, two guys, these three guys are up on the hill. And an amazing thing happens. When Moses' hands are in the air, Israel is winning the victory, winning the battle. But if you ever have your arms in the air for a long time, they get tired. At some point, you've got to bring them down. And when his hands would come down, then the Amalekites would take the upper hand. And so what... What Aaron and Hur begin to do is they begin to prop up Moses' arms, and God brings victory to Israel, and the Amalekites are defeated. And then the Lord says this to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. That I'm going to blot out the Amalekites who stood against me and my people, they are my enemies, and I'm going to blot them out. Now we fast forward to 1 Samuel 15, where God, because the people desired it, has given the people a king. And King Saul, the son of Kish, is on the throne. And you still have the Amalekites, who are a thorn in their side, still trying to destroy God's people. So God tells Saul, listen, Saul, you're going to go into battle. You are going to destroy the Amalekites. And because they will not leave you alone, you are going to destroy every single one of them. You say, man, that's harsh. But hear me. If you stand against the people of God and you stand against God, God's going to have his people's back every time. And these people won't leave his people alone. So he tells Saul, destroy them all. But Saul decides to do things his way, which never works out for you. He doesn't kill King Agag, who is the king of the Amalekites. There's that name Agag. He doesn't kill him. Sam, Samuel has to come along, and he has to do it. And because of Saul's disobedience, God takes the throne from Saul. And because Saul doesn't do what God says, when you fast forward to Esther, there are still descendants of King Agag. Still descendants who hate the people of God and want them destroyed. Thus you have Haman, who is of the Amalekites, who absolutely despises the Jews and wants all of them dead and uses this as an opportunity to do it. Esther chapter 3 verse 13 again. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces 
with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children. Haman appears to be in charge. But here's the reality. This goes deeper than Haman versus Mordecai. This goes deeper than God's people, the Jews, versus the Amalekites. Because the reality is, Haman isn't in charge. He's merely a pawn in the hands of Satan, who is the great liar, the great murderer, and the great thief. So who's in charge in Esther chapter 3? It's Satan. Satan is the one who's orchestrating this plan, who is moving forward. Why? Because ultimately, when you study the Scriptures, it's a spiritual battle between God and Satan. And when you go back all the way to the beginning chapters of Genesis, Satan, right, who's, who rebels against God, is cast out from Heaven, right, is, is now leading all of these minions, these demons, against God, leads Adam and Eve to sin, leads them to disobey God. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? God pronounces a curse upon Satan. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan is told you're going to lose. You're going to lose. And so what does Satan do? He begins to come up with a plan to take out the one who will defeat him. God says there's going to be a seed that comes from the woman. That seed will defeat you. Satan, like everyone else, is learning that God has made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and God has a special covenant with the Jewish people. So Satan begins to go into overdrive to take out the Jewish people. Because if he takes out the Jewish people, there will be no Messiah who can defeat him. So Satan's got this plan. And one of the ways to do it is to destroy the Jews, and he is using Haman to do that. Spoiler alert, if you don't know how Esther ends, Satan doesn't win. God's people are not destroyed, but Satan doesn't give up. You remember Herod? Herod is told, Herod the Messiah is coming, the, 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 the king has been born, and Herod sees that as a threat to his throne. So what does Herod do? Every boy two and under, he kills. Why? Because none of you are going to take what is mine. When Satan is told you're going to lose, Satan is going to do everything he can to take out the Messiah. So fast forward. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, comes. God takes on flesh. Jesus lives a sinless, perfect life. He does things no one else can do. People are marveling at what Jesus can do. And as you're reading through the Gospels, man, you're getting excited. If you understand the Old Testament, that Jesus is fulfilling all of this. And if you're living this out for the first time in Jesus' day, or you're reading the Bible for the first time from the cover to the Gospels, you're getting excited because Jesus is going to win. Jesus is the one to bring the victory. And then there's a twist. Because Jesus is arrested. And he is killed. He is crucified, placed upon a tree, a crown of thorns shoved upon his brow to mock the king of kings. And on that cross, 
Jesus dies. And the land is covered in darkness. And Satan has won. He's done it. He has taken out the Messiah. But wait, there's a twist. If you've been in Bible school this week, you heard that phrase. There's a twist. Because on the third day, Jesus is raised from the dead. He's raised in victory. He defeats Satan, sin, hell, and death. Satan doesn't have all authority. Genesis 3 is fulfilled. Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, destroys Satan. In Exodus 17, when Moses is given victory, he comes down from the hill and he declares, Yahweh Nissi, or Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. Right, we, you see in, in the army, you fly under a flag. You represent that flag. You represent that country. Moses is saying, I represent God. I'm under the flag of God. He provides victory. Jesus, the Lord, is our victory. He is our strength. The Lord is King of kings and Lord of lords. So who's in control in Esther 3? It's not Esther. It's not Mordecai. It's not Haman. It's not the king. And it's not Satan. If you really thought I believed that, you probably were a little confused when I said it was Satan. You think he might be in control. But who's in control in Esther chapter 3? It is the Lord God Almighty. He's in charge. Let me just point out two ways that we see that. The first way, if you look at verse 7, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they... Right, that is the Persians, that is Haman, cast pur. That is they cast lots. The plural is purim. Before Haman, day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Now why are they doing this? Because they believe that the spirits, the gods, control the, the lots. They control the, the pur, the dice, if you will. And what they're trying to figure out is what is the most favorable day? The day that the, the gods will bless the most for us to destroy the Jews. And so they begin to cast for the day. And then the day is decided. Then they begin to cast for the month. And then the month is decided. And we realize that it falls. They're in the first month. The, the lot, the most favorable day to destroy the Jews, falls on the 13th day of the 12th month. Nearly a year away. And you say, man, a year away. That gives the Persians plenty of time to come up with the best plan to make sure the most Jews are killed. It does. But it also gives God plenty of time to come up with a plan that he already has to save his people. Spoiler alert, God doesn't even need the whole year. He just needs about a month, month and a half, two months at the most. And he'll have his plan in place to where his people are spared. See, here's what Proverbs 16.33 says. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God is so in control in chapter 3 that he's really the one that is determining the lots, not the gods, whoever they may worship. But let me point out one more thing and then make an application and then pray. And that is Esther chapter 3, verse 12. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written. And then it begins to go forth. The 13th day of the first month, which is Nisan, seems insignificant. And that day, for the most part, would be insignificant. But what is not insignificant is the next day, which is the 14th day of the first month. 
You see, to the Jews, that day was absolutely significant. Leviticus 23, verse 5. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. God's people would gather every year on the 14th day of the first month to remember what God had done on Passover. When God had said to his people, you're in slavery, I'm going to set you free, and I'm going to set you free this very night. And you are to remember the rest of your life the day that the blood was spread over your doorpost so that the Lord passed over your home because of the blood so that your firstborn was, was spared while the firstborn of every Egyptian home, their firstborn died. So every year you are to gather to celebrate and remember my deliverance of you in the past. And God's people on this particular year would gather on that 14th day. And as they're remembering God's deliverance in the past, word would begin to trickle out that in about a year, every single one of them will be killed, destroyed, and annihilated. And here they stand, remembering God's deliverance in the past, and now wondering, Will God deliver us again? Will God once again deliver us, but this time from this king's edict? Church, we've spent the last several weeks looking back, talking about God's providence and how you can, in this moment, look back upon your life and see the hand of God in so many ways. You can see the, the grand weaver weaving all things together, significant and insignificant. You can look back and you can see his hand. He's been faithful. But the question before us this morning is this. Will we continue to believe and trust God in the future? We've seen him be faithful in the past. But as we live in a day and age that is uncertain, for many of us, will we continue to trust God going forward? We're living in a country, we're living in a culture, even living in a world where a lot of this has been decided by the courts. That a lot more things now are allowable and permissible that five years ago, 50 years ago, 200 years ago, we never would have thought would be allowable and permissible. And every day it seems more things are permissible and allowable that when you study God's word, it is clear they are in opposition to God's word. So here we stand. All of this stuff is allowable and permissible, but church, what happens when that which is allowable and permissible one day is now commanded? What happens? When, maybe, you'll lose your job because you refuse to say, yes, I believe this is permissible. Yes, this is right when you know God's word says, no, it is wrong and it is sin. What happens if maybe a day comes where you and I have to pay more taxes because we will not agree to certain things? Or what happens if maybe we lose our life? You say, well, pastor, I don't think that'll ever happen in this country. Did you ever think we'd be where we are today? If the Lord tarries, who knows where we're heading? 
You say, Pastor, that seems far-fetched. Look, here's the reality. From the New Testament to now, this has been everyday life for thousands and thousands and thousands of brothers and sisters who have been persecuted, imprisoned, and killed because they believe this is the Word of God and that's where they stand and they will stand nowhere else. So when that day comes, will we still believe that God is faithful? Maybe you're here this morning and you have been diagnosed with cancer. Maybe your marriage has fallen apart. Or maybe you didn't get that promotion. Or maybe you won't get into that school of your dreams. Or maybe this morning you're just anxious. You're scared. You're depressed. Maybe even suicidal. And you say, Pastor, listen, I stand here and I look back. And I see where God was faithful. I look back and I see where I once trusted in the Lord, where I once walked with the Lord. But pastor, now, he feels so far away. He feels so far apart. Pastor, now I feel like he's abandoned me. Pastor, I feel like he has failed me. I feel like he's not with me. Listen, I have good news for you this morning. The God who was faithful then is still faithful now. The God who saved you then is still saving you now. The God who called you by name then, called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, is still calling you now. The God who loved you then still loves you now. The God who has all authority then, the God who's in control, complete control, when everything seems to be falling apart in Esther chapter 3, is still in control now. So hear me, there's only one person who has all authority. Only one person who rules and reigns over all things. It's not you. It is not the President of the United States of America. It is not our Senators. It is not our Representatives. It is not even the United States of America. Old Church, I have good news for you. Your future lays not in stars, in luck, or in lots. The future lays in the hands of a majestic, mighty King named Jesus. That's where our authority lies. So as we close, in Esther chapter 3, here's what happens. A letter of death goes forth. It's a letter of death that goes forth into all of these provinces calling for the execution of the Jews. And you keep reading, and you keep reading, and you keep reading until you get to the gospel. And what you see in the gospel is that a new letter goes out. It's a new letter of life, a letter of salvation, a deliverance letter of good news. And this good news, as we've talked about all week, this good news changes everything. Everything is changed because of Jesus. So wherever you stand in life, whatever your circumstances, will you once again throw yourself upon Jesus and his mercy and grace? Will you return to the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you, this very moment, cast all your cares and all your anxieties and all your burdens? Will you cast your present and your future and your life upon Him? Are you right now willing to say, God, I believe that you have all authority and once again I am surrendering my life to you?
Because I'm sure the Jews were wondering, God, will you deliver us again? And God once again came through. And then when Jesus has been crucified upon the cross, I'm sure they thought, God, what is happening? But once again, God comes through as he raises Jesus from the dead. And God is still writing your story. God is not done with you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Will you submit to that authority? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? As we're praying, our, our VBX crew are, is going to come, and, and they're going to lead us in a final song. I'm going to ask you to remain seated when they sing. The words, I believe, will be on the screen. I want to encourage you to sing along. This song is speaking of God's great name. And, and they're going to do some sign language and, and sing that for us. And, and I just want you to use this time just to spend time with the Lord, to get right with the Lord, to cast your cares, your burdens, your concerns upon the Lord. To be reminded that He is a God who delivers His people, just as He does in the book of Esther. Father, You know our hearts. You know our burdens, our struggles, our deepest longings. God, you know the people right now who are walking in victory and who are walking on that mountaintop and they're declaring Yahweh Nissi, the Lord is my banner, and they're flying under that flag. God, they're all in. They're following you. Father, you know who they are. Lord, continue to strengthen them. Continue to give them that resolve, no matter how hard things may get, to keep following Jesus. Father, you also know the people in this room who have never given their life to you, Jesus, never confessed their sins, never repented of their sins. All of their hope, all of their dreams are in themselves, and their world is falling apart. And Jesus, only you can rescue and save them. Father, you know those in the room who once were walking with you, once flying under that, that banner of Jesus, you are Lord of my life, but who have walked away, who have wandered away, who are now living in sin, living in disobedience. Father, would you draw them back to yourself? May they hear your voice as clearly right now as they did that moment that you saved them, however long ago that was. May they, as the prodigal son did, come running back to the Father. May they come running back to the powerful, great name of Jesus Christ. And may they know, Jesus, that they will find a Savior who is willing and ready to forgive them, to cleanse them. And God, you still want to use them, just as you did Peter, even though Peter denied you. God, there is forgiveness this morning because of your great name. And so we just want to worship that in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain seated and worship along with us.
Amen. Amen. You guys can come on down. Now, what an incredible way to end our service. We were going to do that earlier in the service, and Brian said, hey, we could do that at the end. Man, that was a perfect way uh, to end the service. Let me make just a couple of announcements before Steve Smith comes up and prays. Men's breakfast this Saturday, that's in the bulletin. Um, Upward, if you are wanting your child to play Upward Soccer, and you have not registered yet, I was wrong last week. We have 144 spots, but we're already up to 125 registered. So it's, it's narrowing down. So if you haven't signed up, I would sign up ASAP. Church picnic. We need you to sign up for the church picnic. We need to know how many are coming, and we need you to bring sides. Now, I'm afraid if I make this announcement, we're going to have the exact opposite problem. But last year, we had a ton of desserts and like a ton of like salad stuff, but we didn't have a lot of baked beans or like vegetables. So when you sign up, just see what people have signed up for and try to spread that out. Now I'm afraid we're going to have all sorts of baked beans and not any desserts. But just look at the list. Please sign up. It's helpful. It's a lot of fun. Um, two ministry opportunities to make you aware of. Georgia Baptist Children's Home, that's in the bulletin. And then an Ecuador interest meeting. Um, there's going to be a couple trips next year in partnership with a couple of the churches in our area to go see the mosque. So that information is in there as well. One last thing. It is that time of the year at Northside where we uh, begin to prepare to elect deacons to serve for another three years. So next Sunday, there will be list of men in the bulletin, men who have been a member for over a year, men who we've reached out to and said they're able, they're willing to serve. And then in August, we will vote on those men. So men, if your name is not in the bulletin and you want it to be in the bulletin, we apologize if we overlooked you, so just look at that next week. And if your name is not there, you can reach out to the office, let Kim know, and we can add you. But you'll see that, be in prayer for that over the next several weeks, and then we elect deacons the first two Sundays in August. But I won't be here next week to make that announcement, so just wanted you to be aware um, of that. We have no activities tonight. Wednesday night we do have activities, and then that resumes pretty much our normal Wednesday-Sunday schedule where we won't have any more Wednesdays or Sundays off. We do still have some activities coming up um, over the next month on Sundays, including Talent Show. If you haven't signed up for that, please sign up for the Talent Show. Steve, if you'll come, you can just use this mic right here, brother. If everybody will stand, we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Well, from uh, grandfather's point of view, this was a blessing to have uh, see all these children, and I know all your grandparents agree with me, and it's an amazing thing to see young kids understand what it is to turn their life over to Christ, and uh, starting young is the way to go. So let's keep them in our prayers, too. Lord, we, uh, we all come before you uh, right now, Lord, and I pray for each person here that uh, heard the message that you would uh, they would apply it to their own lives, Lord. And uh, uh, I come before you just, I'm not worthy, but uh, you make me worthy. And the reason is because I have accepted you as my Savior. And I just pray for each person here today that as we go forth, that we will not only live our life uh, with the character of Christ, and the conduct of Christ, but that other people will see that, and that will give us the opportunity to share with them why we have peace in our hearts and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.